Great job. Good morning. I'm Ron Gilliard. I'm an associate pastor here at Southside Baptist Church. Uh, normally, my focus is on member care. Uh, this morning, my focus is going to be on judges, specifically Judges 6. Brother Gary began back on June the 11th, entering into the book of Judges, and he has preached several ser- uh, sermons. He's gone through five books now. I'm going to preach, or five chapters rather. I'm going to preach on chapter 6 today, and then he'll be back next week. Uh, we begin talking about Gideon today. Uh, Gideon appears in chapters 6, 7, and 8, and so I'm going to give the early life of Gideon and kind of the build-up to what he does, and he's going to be back next week, and he'll pick up Gideon and continue on with it. So Gary titled this series, um, uh, In Judges, Anarchy. Anarchy, and we have a description for anarchy up here. It says, uh, without a ruler or king, without laws or governance, is the description of anarchy. Can we see that? Maybe. Okay, he's working on it. We'll get to that in a minute. Anarchy, talking about no rules, no, let me do my own thing. Sound familiar? Well, this was 3,000 some odd years ago when um, Gideon and when the book of Judges was written, but Judges 17.6 has a verse that kind of sums up for us what uh, the entire book is about in, in, in great sense. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, does that sound like something that was a long time ago to you? <laughs> Sounds kind of current, doesn't it? <laughs> in a lot, I mean, we have songs that say, do it my way. We have advertisements that say, you know, order it your way. And um, I think Andy Stanley was the one who Gary quoted as saying that um, the American dream is to do what we want, when we want to do it, with whoever we want to do it with. And we add kind of on the tail end of that, he added, if it doesn't hurt anybody, but Gary preached a very wonderful sermon two or three weeks ago in which he talked about, um, he, he said, you really don't not hurt anyone. Uh, if you're involved in, in drugs or pornography or who, who names it, there's people that are being affected. There's people being hurt outside of what you're doing that still are affected by it. So to not hurt anyone is kind of, a, it's not going to happen that way. Back with the children of Israel, uh, 3,000 years ago, they had a kind of a simple, we're not, uh, there's, there was a lot of civil uh, anarchy present in the book of Judges. We're going to focus today on uh, moral or spiritual anarchy. The children of Israel really had a simple choice. They could follow God or they could follow a pagan. They could not follow God, follow something else, follow a pagan. Things haven't changed, guys. Same today, isn't it? That's really the same choice we have today. We can follow God or we can follow something else. Now, the children of Israel went through this cycle that we see. I'm not smiling because I'm smiling because I can't believe they went through it over and over again. You know, they had this huge disobedience that the children of Israel would go through, and then a disaster would befall them. Uh, the disaster would come, and then they would pray, Oh, God, help us, help us. And so, sure enough, God would deliver them from it. And then everything would be fine for a period of time, and then that cycle would run itself again. It would all happen again. So as we look at the book of Judges, um, Brother uh, Gary, he concluded that there were five insights that he felt like were really important that we should not miss. And so I would be remiss if I don't mention them to you again. The first one was unconquered sin 
will eventually conquer us. You know, if we have a problem, you know, a, a lot of times the biggest problem is us re- admitting we have a problem. But if we do, in fact, have a problem with something, if we don't conquer it, it's going to conquer us. It, the problem is going to take us over. And so that's number one. The second one is moral decline is a downward spiral. And I often think of this, there's an old gospel song. I think it's a gospel song that says, sin looks a lot better coming in than it does going out. Is that an old gospel song? And, you know, you, you hear what it says. It's saying, boy, we actually kind of wink at some things. You know, we're uh, the beginning. I come from an unfortunate uh, generation that wrote songs about cocaine, for Pete's sakes. Uh, we, uh, uh, we see things on television and in movies, and we kind of look the other way like we really didn't see it, like it wasn't a big deal. You know, but, boy, I tell you what, when sin gets full-blown and going, it's ugly. It gets painful and hurtful. On the way out, it's ugly. It's really not good at all. So moral decline is a downward spiral. That's true. Third is God will not share the throne of your heart with anyone or anything. And that's kind of common sense-ish. You, know, you can't imagine God saying, okay, all right, here you go now. On Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, I want you to follow me. I'm going to be the master of your life. I'm going to be your king. And now on Friday and Saturday, you do whatever you want to do. He's not going to do that. That's just not going to happen. So then the fourth um, insight from Judges is that God will eventually hand you over to the master of your own choosing. That's kind of a sad one in a way. I tell you, Romans, the first chapter of Romans is, is a vivid example of that occurring where uh, he finally says, you know, I've, I've talked to you. you want to, this is what you want to be. This is who you want to be. This is what you want to do. You know, you go and, and be blessed and uh, the consequences go with you. So he will turn you over eventually to your own choosing, if that's what you, if you don't give in. Finally, he says we need a true Savior. So those are the five, certainly we do need a true Savior. Now let's look at just chapter 6 only. Chapter 6, you know, Lisa, if y'all know my wife and I, we used to be with the International Mission Board, and we lived in another country. And before we went, they said, uh, let's give you a pointer. One of the things that you might want to do is tell your biblical truths through kind of a storying method. Uh, the storying methodology is where you, some countries, and it, it doesn't have anything to do with them not being technologically up to date, or uh, some countries, that's just how they pass down stories year after year after year after year after year. And uh, oftentimes, it's easier to be received rather than when you're trying to give them, it, it sounds more like you're trying to give them a law or, or, or whatever, you're trying to show them how to do it. That's not doing it. You're telling them a story. You're telling them a story that has the truth in it that you know that you want to share with them. So uh, today, and I'll give you this example. Today, uh, the book of uh, the, the chapter 6 has 40 verses in it. We're not going to read all 40 verses. We're going to read maybe 10 or 12 of the 40. Uh, but I'm going to tell you the story, okay? I'm hoping that you'll come away knowing the story of chapter 6 and that you'll know those key points that we want to try and point out to you. Now, it's broken real simply. The outline for chapter 6 is so simple. We have the problem. We're going to talk about the problem. We have the prophet, and then we have the plan, okay? So if you can work with me, the problem, the prophet, the plan, we'll get... I've had some requests already to kind of make this short, so we'll do the best we can here. (laughs) Okay, and we do have six key points I'd really like to to try and help you take away from. Let's start off with the problem. Uh, Basically... Uh, we've already heard that the children of Israel go through this cycle 
of disobedience followed by disaster followed by deliverance. Well, we're at the very beginning of the cycle. They're full-blown into disobedience. They're sinning. Uh, They have sinned again. And I would give you a key point before we even read the very first verse. A key point number one would be avoid returning to the same sin and remember what the Lord has done. You know, how could they keep doing the same thing over and over again? You know, the last time when they cried out, oh, Lord, please help me, help me, help me. You know, and then when it was over with, they just kind of went on, went back to it again later on. That's sort of hard to believe. You know, if we could remember what it was that the Lord did for us and how he helped us, we should be able to avoid that. Let's take Judges 1, the first half of verse 1 says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, evil here doesn't mean speeding through town or anything like that. They turned their back on God and made altars to Baal. They started worshiping Baal. Asherah, they put up an Asherah pole. Uh, They were full-blown going the other way. So uh, you wonder, if you look at the second half of that verse, uh, B says, and the Lord gave them to the hand of the Midian for seven years. Well, why would he do that? Why do you think? I mean, Midian, we'll talk about them in just a minute, but the Midian were no picnic, let me tell you. They were some bad guys. So, but the Lord gave them to them. Why do you think he would do that? I mean, these, this was his people. Well, you know, nothing from nothing sort of leaves nothing. Uh, God thinks, they're not following me now anyway. <laughs> They've turned their back on me. You know, they're, they're over here worshiping Baal. They're doing this. So why would, you know, so it's kind of like a, you know, it brings us to key point number two is the Lord, God reproves those he loves. Reproof means kind of a correction. It's a gentle correction. The idea is that we correct you to bring you back. We bring you back into the relationship, uh, back, back again. So it's a, God reproves those that he loves. You know, no one knew about uh, suffering like Job did. Uh, in Job 5, 7, it says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Uh, certainly, when God takes it upon himself to reprove us, the idea is that he's, 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 he's looking after us. He's... Uh, it's something that we shouldn't be uh, upset about. First Corinthians eleven thirty two there also says, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the, the world. So you see what happens if you're not reproved? <laughs> see what happens if we don't change our ways? We go just the same way as the rest of the world into condemnation. And then the last one, of course, is Revelations three nineteen, And this is spoken by Jesus himself. It says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I love Jesus' ministry began with the words repent. I mean, he he never, that's always been a part. It's not enough to say, oh boy, I want relief. I need help. It was repent as well. So let me tell you about the Midianites. The Midianites were some bad guys, as I said. They, uh, uh, the Israelites became uh, familiar with them way back in the beginning when they first came into uh, the land that the Lord gave to them. They encountered them then. And they were harsh with them. I mean, they, their policy was to kill every adult Midianite they could find, uh, adult male, take that back, uh, that they could find. And they, they killed a lot of them, but not all of them. And, of course, the Midian uh, clan re- rebuilt itself over the years. So the, but the Midianites had no love loss for Israel. I mean, it was kind of easy for them to see that they could, they could not like them. But at any rate, Israel was having such a prosperous time Boy, life was easy. Nobody was fighting with them. Things were going good. 
They were uh, so much so that they, they quit worshiping God and started worshiping Baal. It was just easy. Their crops were growing good and their cattle were growing and everything was going good. Well, the Midianites saw this and they said, hmm, we need to go and take all that away from them. And they said, let's wait. Let's wait. Don't, no, don't do it now. They're planting. Now they're pulling weeds and they're doing all that hard work. Let's wait until harvest time. So that's what they did. So the Midianites waited until harvest. Then they came down by the thousands. The scripture says it was so many that they couldn't even count. I mean, it was like locusts. They just went over everything, took all of the food, took all the watermelons off the ground, took all the corn off of the, the thing, pulled all the peanuts up out of the ground. I mean, they just got everything. And they, you don't know they didn't have peanuts. They may have had. <laughs> anyway, they, they just came and took the food source right away from them and took some of their animals. Anyone that got in the way was dealt with. So possibly, you know, they consumed some of this in the process, but they took it away so that they would have food for the winter. And they would, you know, they basically stripped them. Not only that, but they drove in their herds of camels and cows and sheep and let them eat up the rest of the, the, rest of the crops. Everything was there. So it was decimated. Uh, Israel came out of that feeling like the first year, what happened? What hit us? They probably were on the diet of all diets that first year, trying to figure out how they were going to get through the wintertime. Okay, well, now the next spring comes and they think, what are we going to do? Well, we can't not plant. You know, we can't not grow. We don't know if they're going to come again or not, but we can't not try to live. So they grew the crops again and went throughout, pulled the weeds, took care of them, and come harvest time, the Midianites show up again. So as you read in the scripture, for seven years, this went on for seven years. The only alteration that they made was they identified in the mountains some little caves uh, over in Cappadocia, where we used to live, well, we didn't live in Cappadocia, but it was in Turkey. We used to visit there, and it was the same, pl- same way. Christians went and lived in the caves for protection uh, when, during persecution times. Well, this is what they, they did. They went up, and they probably started trying to get some early food sources and get it up into the caves so they could survive the weeks and months in which the Midianites came in and ravaged them. Until after seven years, they had just you know, had it up here. It was all they could take. They cried out to the Lord. If you look in Judges 6, verse 7, it says, when the people of Israel cried out to, to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. Well, now, I'm not sure that was the help they were hoping for. May have been, but I don't think so. They were looking for relief. They, they had this problem, and so the prophet comes. What do you think the prophet does right off the bat? He says, you have messed up, buddy. <laughs> you guys are doing it wrong. What are you doing over here worshiping Baal when, you know, you've left God? Have you forgotten that God brought you out of Egypt? Your forefathers, at least, maybe not you, but he brought your dads out or your grandfathers out, brought them out of Egypt, brought them safely through the wilderness, brought them to the a land flowing with milk and honey. How many times have you gone back and prayed to God, please help us with something, and he's helped you? And now you're going to walk away from that? You need to repent. That was basically what he was saying to them. How do we, do we ever do that? You don't have to raise your hand. Do we ever, do we ever feel that same way? Do we ever say, God, please help me with this problem. Please help me with you know, we don't, we don't think about the repentance idea, do we? 
but we sure think about the problem and we think about the relief that we'd like to have with whatever it may be. You know, Tim Keller is an author and pastor, and he writes that um, we forget, we ask for forgiveness, uh, we regret having a problem, but we're not in tune to feel repentance. And he refers us to 2 Corinthians 7.10, which says, Godly sorrow leads to repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You know, the, one of the worst things about worldly sorrow is, boy, when the, the consequences are over with, we go back to doing what we were doing. Many times we go back to the same problem. Uh, we do this again, you know, uh, we're, we want relief, we, won't, we're re, we regret having the problem, but we don't have repentance. And key point number three says, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Uh, Keller gives us this example, he says, we're thinking kind of horizontally. You know, we think, oh boy, if I had relief from this problem and we get it and then we just keep on going, we, have, we do the problem again. He says, we need to be thinking vertically in which we say, well, I had this problem and you say, God, please forgive me. Forgive me. If I'm participating in some way in this, please forgive me and hope that the, the, the problem will go away forever and ever and the sorrow will be the, legitimate. So in verse 10 of Judges, we read, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And so, same question. How about us? Do we obey the voice of God? Do we follow his commands? It's a good thing to ask ourselves from time to time. You know, uh, in, I have key point number four, but it's kind of complicated, and it's sort of long, and you might have trouble getting it, so... I'm going to try and go through this and see if I can help you get it. You ready for it? Are you ready? Key point number four is obey God. Got it? That was the point he was trying to make there is obey God. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Some of you may have said, well, Brother Ron, I hadn't seen a prophet in forever. (laughs) You know, they don't come around telling us what God wants us to do anymore like they used to. Look at Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. You know, the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the commands of God are all written down for us. We don't have to wait on the prophet to show up. We can go find it ourselves. If, by the way, if you don't have the Word of God, if you don't have one at home, you don't have one with you, reach in the, in the pew right in front of you there. There should be a copy of it. Please take that with you. Feel free to take it. Okay, so we've gone through the problem, and we've gone through the prophet. Now, the prophet, uh, we, the, this scripture in, 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 verse, in chapter 6 doesn't tell us how successful he was by his proclamation of what their sin was and telling them to repent. It doesn't address that, but the prophet goes. So now we come to the plan, and the plan is delivered by God himself. And he does it in the form of uh, the angel of the Lord is what it's called. Now, the angel of the Lord appears in Scripture in a number of places, and uh, the the handling is almost always the same. The angel of the Lord comes, and um, he he comes to whoever it is that he's going to talk to or help or direct or whatever, and 
at some point in their relationship, he performs a miracle or something to confirm to this person that he's really who he is. And then at the point where that person says, you know, I think this might be God I'm talking to. Well, at that point, he's out of there. He vanishes. He's gone. And that happens. That's exactly what happens here. So the angel of the Lord comes and he gives the appearance of being a, a, a weary traveler. He's, uh, he comes and he gets under a tree, sits down, gets out of, the, out of the sun and kind of rests himself a little bit. Well, he happens to be right next to where Gideon is. Gideon is down in this wine press and he's thrashing out uh, wheat. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. One is wine press isn't where you go to thrash out wheat. That's really not suited for it very well, but that's where he is. It does, however, provide pretty good cover for you if you're hiding from someone, which is what I think he was. He was down in the wine press, and, you know, Gideon had servants. He could have had them doing it, but he wasn't. He was doing it himself, and he was using his staff, which is not the, that's not what you would use to do uh, thrash wheat normally, even though I haven't actually done it. That's what I read that you don't, use a, you don't use a staff. So all of that combined sort of says that Gideon was trying to get some grain together, get some wheat together, probably to sack up and take up to his cave. Didn't want the Midianites to see him. He was kind of a little bit cowardish maybe, you know. Uh, so the first comment that the angel of the Lord says to Gideon is, you see it in verse 12 there, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Well, I think that's a nice thing to say. I'd, I'd love for the Lord to say that to me. Oh, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. Gideon didn't look like a mighty man of valor. He, uh, he, he wasn't acting like a mighty man of valor right about then, which kind of reminds me that God can see what we can become, not what we are right now. God can see where we're going. I, I recall being at a missions conference with Lisa uh, down in Winter Park, Florida years ago, and a guy from uh, Woodstock, Georgia, his name is Johnny Hunt. I don't know if you know him or not. Johnny was, he was preaching and he was trying to say to everybody, he was saying, now, God can use you. And you're sitting there saying, God can't use me. I'm too young. He loved to point. He said, God can't use me. I'm too old. God can't use me. I'm not trained. I don't have enough education. God can't use me. I've got too much education. Whatever. You know, we're just coming up with all sorts of things. And he said, wait, 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 wait. Are we talking about the God who created heaven and earth? We're talking about the God who takes a planet and spins it out in space and it goes exactly where he tells it to? That's the God we're talking about? He can use you. The question is, will you let him? That's the question. So key point number five is, God can use you. Absolutely. All we have to do is say yes. So Gideon... (laughs) He did not respond the way I would have liked to. If I had said to him, hey, uh, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor, I'd expect you to take that as a compliment and be kind of humble and talk back to me. Look at what he said in verse 13. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with me, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. And given us into the hand of Midian. Boy, the first thing that comes to my mind is a cartoon figure where God goes and zaps old Zidian. He's just ashes. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He's very, very patient, very kind, very loving. You know, I just, uh, in, in Turkish, anybody here speak Turkish other than my wife over there? Me? Yes, good, okay. 
Uh, they have a tense. When I say, you know, like present tense, past tense, that type of, they have a tense called mush. Uh, and like, if you, would, if you were to use the word get, which is to go, same for us, get. But anyway, uh, to get would be to go. You say get mush means that I saw her, uh, I know that she left. I didn't actually see her leave, but I know that she did. She's not here now, so I know she left. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, it's a tense that says, I didn't actually see it firsthand. Here's another example. Domushgunu. Um, uh, uh, Domushgunu is birthday. You know, and say, his birthday, uh, I, I didn't actually see him being born, <laughs> but because I see him, I know that he was born. So that's his birthday. And that mush, the adding that to the, the language, that whole tense, anytime you use it, you're saying, I didn't see it firsthand, but I know that it's true. Well, Gideon could have used that right here because he wanted to see those miracles firsthand. Well, the miracles were all a part of the formation of the church and of all that was going on at that particular time. And, uh, but he was told about them. He should know them based upon other things. So verse 14 there says, And the Lord turned to him and said, He kept his patience, very calm, said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. So God commissioned Gideon of sorts right then and there. Now Gideon, not without uh, wanting to <laughs> verify, can you show me a sign? Are you, are you sure this is really who you are? <laughs> and uh, then he, he kind of rethought it. He says, well, t- I'll tell you what, listen, if I go and get a present for you, will you promise to stay here until I come back he said go go get your present I'll stay until you come back so Gideon comes back with he goes and gets meat puts it in a basket gets some uh, unleavened cakes and a pot full of broth brings it all back I guess like he thinks he's going to feed this guy or something and so the angel of the Lord says put it on the rock right there put the bread down put the meat on top pour the broth all over that and so he does that then the angel of the Lord takes the staff just touches the edge of the meat with it, and from the rock, whoosh, fire comes up like a sacrifice and burns it all. And as those smoke's going up, the angel of the Lord vanishes and goes up as well. Well, Gideon says, I have been talking face-to-face with God. This is terrible. You know, he was, he, 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 he was afraid. He was frightened. Well, God knew that this was happening, so he immediately says to Gideon, um, be calm and carry on. No, he didn't say that. He said, I'm not going to kill you. You're not going to die. Don't worry. So he tells him to, to calm down. It's going to be okay. Now, Gideon, the scripture goes on to tell us that it doesn't say when exactly. It says later. Uh, the scripture says later, God comes to him, probably that night, because he says, um, okay, Gideon, here's the plan, buddy. First things first, we want to tear down those altars to Baal. We want to tear them down. Pull up that Asherah pole that you see out there. Chop it into wood. You know, I want you to tear all that down. I want you to go and take your dad's two bulls. He's got one bull that's a working bull, and he's got one bull that's kind of like his prize bull. Take both of them. Use them to pull this stuff down with. And after you've pulled it all down, build an altar to the Lord. Take that Asherah pole that you chopped up, put the wood on there, kill bull number two, and put him on top, and do a sacrifice to the Lord. So Gideon did exactly as the Lord said. Brings us to key point number six. We cannot keep altars to sin in our lives. We must tear them down and replace them with ones to the Lord. You know, most of us think, we don't have an altar to sin. Well, do you have a computer? 
you know, do you have a, uh, there's a lot of, there's, there, you know, most of us have been through this exercise. Gary gave a, a, a sermon not long ago about masters in our lives. And uh, are we, uh, who is the master of our life? And you've gone through this exercise where you've looked at your checkbook and you've looked at your calendar and you, you see what is it that's important to me? Where do I spend my time and my energy and my thought process? What's really the master of my life? Um, if we have an altar, if we have something that we're spending way too much energy and time on, that's, that's what we're talking about here, is taking down the altars to sin in our lives. Gideon did exactly as God told him to do. Now, he was happy that it was nighttime because <laughs> the scripture says that uh, he was worried. His dad was out there wor- uh, worshiping Baal with the others, and uh, the men of the town, he just knew this was going to be a problem. Well, guess what? He was right. <laughs> In verse 31, if you look at that, but Joash, well, I'm sorry, let me, I, I jumped to the scripture. Uh, the next morning, the guys get up and they go to worship and their altars have been torn down. And they say, who could have done this? Well, it didn't take them long to figure out, well, it had to have been Gideon because he would not come and worship Baal with us. He still worshiped God. And so look there in verse 31. They came to Joash, that was Gideon's dad. They came to his house and said, send him out. We're going to kill him. You know, he has torn down the altar to Baal. Well, verse 31 says, but Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend? That means will you take up for? Will you take up for Baal? Uh, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. You know, the priest of Baal and the, you know, they've not had a good history over, uh, of surviving this type of encounter. It says, if he is God, let him contend for himself. But his altar has been broken down. So if Baal is really a God, he can take care of Gideon. What are you all upset about? You know, I don't know if this was Joash's, if he had a word from the Lord on this, or if this was just his uh, dad, dadness coming out in him, taking up for his son Gideon. But at any rate, uh, he turned the tide in their thinking uh, completely. Um, it says then that in verse 32, therefore on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Gideon, this actually turned into kind of a leadership example that Gideon did. Uh, he was no longer, the men in his town were no longer uh, against him. They thought, wow, Gideon took charge. He, he, he was decisive. He did this on his own. So the next part of the scripture is that the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Gideon did, in fact, take a leadership role. It says he blew his trumpet. You remember how in the military you blow a trumpet to do all kinds of things, to wake up, to go to sleep, to come, go, etc. Well, Gideon blew his trumpet and it rallied all the men to come to him. And so he said, we're getting ready to fight the Midianites. He sent messengers to all the towns around and to other towns. Well, when they heard that all of his people, all of his men were all with behind him, they came. And before you know it, there were record numbers. He had lots of people there to help. So Gideon was the established leader. And you would think, well, this was pretty, this was pretty good. Gideon's got it all under control. He's confident. He and the Lord are like this now, you know. He said to the Lord, he said, now, what is it you want, you want me? Are you telling me that you're going to give me this victory over the Midianites? That's what Gideon is basically saying to the Lord. Are you saying that you're going to, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to lead this fight against them and you're going to give that victory to me? He said, how about if I, uh, if I take a fleece? You ever done this? You ever had a fleece? 
about something? He said, how about if I take this fleece and put it down? It's a wool fleece, you know, a little square of, of wool. And he says, uh, if tonight when the dew comes, dew normally covers everything. He said, how about if the dew just lands on the piece of fleece only and all around it's dry? That'll be a sign. That'll be a sign that you're telling me this is what you want me to do. Is that okay? So he goes to bed, gets up the next morning. Sure enough, the fleece is soaking wet. I mean, it's got the dew all over it, but all around it's dry. Now, normally, would you think, well, that's his answer. He asked God, and God gave it to him. Is that the end of it? Nope. You know, just like us, I mean, we think, are you sure, Lord? Especially if it's something hard, something difficult, something we really didn't want to do. You know, we ask a second time to be sure. Now, are you sure that's really what you want me to do? So he uses the same example, a slightly different. He says, let me put the fleece out. How about this time? The fleece stays dry and everything else gets wet. So he wakes up the next morning and that too has happened. So it's a, it's a direct sign that God is telling him that he then should, in fact, lead his people against the Midianites. So now that's the end of chapter 6. You've heard everything in chapter 6. How about that? Didn't take very long, did it? Next week, Gary will lead us on into the battle that, that Gideon fights. You know, God showed amazing, amazing um, love and amazing patience with Gideon throughout this. But, you know, he has that love for you and I as well. You know, in uh, John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the question comes back to us. Do we love God? Do you believe that Jesus was sent by him to this earth to live as a man, to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins? Do you believe that he was raised three days later from the dead by God, that he ascended into heaven and that he awaits all of us who call him Lord right now have you ever had a time where you wanted to you haven't called jesus lord he hadn't been the lord of your life in the past but you'd like for him to be you'd like to talk about it i'd love to have you come forward we're going to sing a song if i can get musicians up here we're going to sing a song of invitation and for anyone if you'd like to come forward and pray at the altar if you'd like to talk with me uh, if you would like to express um your love for the lord and that you would like for Jesus to be your master, uh, I'd love to talk to you about it.